This morning we're in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. We're starting a new series this morning. We have been working in the Gospel of John. The lectionary shifts us to Matthew for the next few weeks. So we're going to have three reminders in this series that Matthew gives us. This first one is a reminder about our purpose, a reminder about purpose. In this passage that we just read is that phrase, go therefore and make disciples. That's known as the Great Commission. It's been known as the Great Commission that Jesus sends disciples to go and make other disciples. A few years ago when the United Methodist Church was kind of reworking our book of discipline and trying to articulate for our modern day exactly who we are and who we are to be, they seized on this passage. I put in your outline in the first couple of lines there what is considered the mission of the united methodist church the mission of the church our book of discipline says is to make disciples of jesus christ for the transformation of the world to make disciples that's what jesus tells these 11 that are gathered and probably others with them we've been talking a lot about that in our oklahoma united methodist conference these last few years realizing there's been some decline in our denomination understanding that it's easy to get distracted or to get discouraged and forget what the main thing is and what God has called us to be and do we've been emphasizing this whole idea of it's important for every church to be thinking about going and making disciples at our annual conference meetings just a few weeks ago, our executive director of our conference ministry programs, Craig Stinson, was up giving his report about this very thing, talking about strategic plans and what we need churches to be doing to be more vital. And he said, well, you know, I ran across this video that I want to show you that I think will help you understand what I'm talking about. And the lights go down and a video pops up on the screen there's this old heavyset boy with a University of Tennessee, bright orange University of Tennessee ball cap on, and he's holding his own video camera, making his own commercial. And he says, hi, y'all. This here's Mike. I'm at Mike's Golf Shop. We buy golf. Come on over here. We buy golf clubs. We buy golf clubs. Come on down here to Mike's. We buy golf clubs here at Mike's. You know what we do? We buy golf clubs. We buy golf clubs. Come see Mike. And then the screen went black. And then the screen came back on, and Craig, who was standing there making the report, now was on the video screen. And he's standing in front of a United Methodist Church. And guess what he says? Hey, this here's Craig. 
I'm over here at the United Methodist Church. We make disciples. We make disciples. Come on down over here and join us. We make disciples. We're United Methodists. We make disciples. Come on. Come on now. We make disciples. It was ridiculous. <laughs> but it was memorable. I bet you could say it with me. What do United Methodists do? We make disciples. That's what he wanted us to remember. He wanted every United Methodist there, and there were delegates from all of our 500-plus churches from across the conference to be thinking about this very passage where Jesus sends us all to make disciples. And so he went on to talk about the different ways we do that, but we just need to recognize that right here in this passage, in this last, these last few verses of this Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives those first disciples, and therefore us, our marching orders. We're to go and make disciples. And yet I find it fascinating, remarkable, that they also added that last little phrase in verse 17. Did you hear that? Matthew records, when these disciples saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Really? Right here, big finish, end of the gospel, we're worshiping the risen Christ, but some doubted? I mean, I understand after the crucifixion, there's some confusion about what's really going down, what's going to happen. Is this really a good idea to be a follower of this Jesus? But by the time we get to this point, Jesus has made some appearances as the risen Christ. He comes before them as the risen Christ to give them their final commission, and Matthew records that some doubt it. It's remarkable, I think, that that's even in there. And yet it's such a human response in the midst of our lives, even when we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, sometimes doubt creeps in. Sometimes we have doubt. We don't often like to admit it as people of faith, but sometimes most all of us doubt. At some point in our lives, most all of us doubt. So it's a little bit comforting to me and maybe to you that this little snippet of history was saved by Matthew that some doubted, even of the very first disciples. Frederick Beekner is a Christian author, well, I think one of our most creative Christian theologians. He writes about doubt at one point. I want to read you just a couple of sentences about what he says about doubt. Whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you are either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. So often we only think about doubt as weakness or as a problem or as our own personal failure. Beekner's reminding us, no, doubt has a positive role to play in terms of keeping our faith alive. Beekner just takes a little different take on the role of doubt, and perhaps that's the take that Jesus has as well, because do you notice right after Matthew records that some are doubting, 
Jesus goes ahead and gives those same doubters an assignment. Right after Matthew writes, but some doubted, then in verse 18 he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. They're doubting, and Jesus says, That's okay. Go make disciples anyway, in a sense. So even in the midst of our doubt, Jesus calls us to go and serve. Our doubt does not get us off the hook of still serving in the name of Christ. A few years ago, there was a workout program called P90X. You may have heard about it. Tony Horton is a personal trainer he got with some guys who make good videos, and they made this 30-minute infomercial and ran it over and over and over and over. He sold thousands of these workout programs. It was a pretty convincing video. One of the things he says in the workout videos is, as he's kind of coaching you up, he says, do your best and forget the rest. I mean, the workout is harder than most anybody can get through. So he's saying, you know, do your best, forget the rest. Or focus on what you can do. Don't worry about the part you cannot do. Or for our purposes today, focus on your faith, the faith that you do have as you deal with the doubts that you carry with you. John Wesley, founder of Methodism, considered by most Christian authors a giant in terms of spiritual life, was a doubter. If you read through his journal, you find out that from time to time he was truly plagued with doubt. You may know the passage it's the most famous passage from his journal where he writes about this experience he had one night when he was in a bible study and he had been doubting and struggling with his faith and they were working on the book of romans and he says during that experience he felt his heart strangely warmed and felt like that god loved him even him and he had an assurance of his faith but then if you read on in his journal, right after he sounds that chord that sounds so triumphant, he notes that he went home and was buffeted by many temptations. And then the next journal entry on the next day, he writes about the doubts that he's having. And another place, he writes about that a person has written him and says, if you have any doubts, you have no faith at all. And he struggles with whether he's really a Christian and he concludes, oh, I can have faith and doubt. Those can go together and concludes that particular entry, praying that God might help him through his doubts and praying for all other Christians who may have doubts in their life of faith. It's really remarkable that as you read through his journal, how often he talks about doubt in terms of his calling, his message, his effectiveness. One place he has started traveling around England to preach the gospel, to proclaim the good news. 
And yet still inside, he's having doubts. He goes to one of his spiritual mentors, a fellow named Peter Bowler. And he tells him the quote that I've put in your outline today when Wesley shares with him that he's really struggling with all this. Bowler tells him, preach faith till you have it, and then because you have it, you will preach faith. These first disciples had some doubt. You may have some doubt. And yet the testimony of Matthew, and really of the whole life of John Wesley, is that God can and will use us in the cause of Christ even amidst our doubts. That God is still at work in our lives, and God still wants to use us for good, and God still wants us to share the love we have come to know in Jesus Christ with others as we go about our lives. We are still sent out to love the world we're still sent out to love our neighbors we're still to be on the lookout for how we can help and serve others as we go about our daily affairs but probably the best part of that whole news comes in the very last sentence we read in verse 20 matthew says and remember and this is jesus speaking and remember i am with you always I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What great good news that we are not sent out alone, but in the power of the Spirit. I am with you always, the risen Christ says. That covers all circumstances, does it not? I am with you always. It's interesting in our book of discipline where they have that mission statement that I Read to you earlier, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The very next sentence is this. Local churches provide the most significant arena through which disciple-making occurs. Local churches. That's us, folks. Most significant place that God is at work to make disciples through local churches. I started thinking about Boston Avenue. How do we make disciples? What comes to your mind when you think of Boston Avenue and disciple making? How do we do that? The word that came to my mind was variety. We do it in a wide variety of places and ways. I mean, some come to faith by coming to worship. Either on their own or someone invites them in. Some watch on television first and then end up coming down here sometime later and making a profession of faith. Some I know have come to our church through the choir program where somebody else knew of their love of music and invited them to come to choir. And they went to choir practice as their first step before they ever made it to this room. Others enter in maybe through a Bible study do Bible study for a while with a group of Boston Avenueers and then end up becoming a part of the family of faith. Some do it through a Sunday school class. We have people inviting others to join them for Sunday school. They begin to do that. They come and study and fellowship in a Sunday school group and then come to faith through that experience. Some come through like the activity we had here during the week, the Creative Spirit of Camp. 
or maybe through our vacation Bible school that will start again a week from Monday where children have come and then their parents have followed them and somebody here has welcomed them and they think maybe that's a place I should spend more time and it ends up being a door to discipleship for some people. Some come through our respite care program, which is a program for families with children with special needs. And we're able to serve them first, and then they learn more about the broader work of our family of faith. Some come through our weekday preschool, where their children need a place to stay while they go to work or other activities. And they come to the building for that purpose, but then learn about the other parts of this family of faith and the other kind of ministries they might be a part of some enter in through a mission experience i told you we just had a group youth force youth who were serving others over in oklahoma city some come because they want to serve they want to do something and so they're a part of that kind of experience we have these kind of short-term mission opportunities uh, for all ages so some say let me try that And then they meet some of us and learn more about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And then they become a part of the family of faith. We've started this Thursday night experience where we're reaching out particularly to people who are struggling with mental health issues and providing a faith family for them, a meal and a worship experience. We've had three professions of faith and one baptism just in the last few months as we've been doing that. It's really a remarkable experience of inviting people in. It's a new way for people to connect with the family of faith and become a disciple. We have a task force that's working on this kind of thing. How do we open more doors? One of the most promising ideas they're looking at is to organize an orchestra for children who are materially poor and use our expertise in classical music to help them be a part of something successful, a part of something bigger, perhaps something that would give them more hope and give them a family of faith. Just so many ways that people become disciples how are you helping someone else become a disciple jesus gives us this great commission how we respond to this commission from christ to go and make disciples shapes us as individuals and shapes us as a church body i hope that we'll each claim that promise of the spirit being with us And knowing that we are sent to go and make disciples and feel the empowerment of God's Spirit filling us and leading us. Because it's so important that we understand we are sent to go, therefore, and make disciples. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.